My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Boobs. Nipples. Brawlessness. Simply hearing those words, some of you might feel, well, titillated. Others of you might feel nervous or maybe a little uncomfortable, though if you're uncomfy with words like boobs, I'm not sure you'd be listening to Girl Boner. But regardless, breasts are seemingly as controversial as they are concealed here in the U.S. and numerous other cultures. Have you ever considered why? Does it matter if we find breasts and nipples sexy or taboo? And how can we celebrate our bodies without sexualizing them? Or should that even be a goal? Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and today we're going to explore this and more with a fabulous returning guest, Jean Franzblau, a sex-positive and consent-positive speaker, educator, and founder of The Cuddle Sanctuary, whose work has been featured all over the place, including BuzzFeed, Comedy Central, and Rolling Stone. We'll also hear Dr. Megan Fleming's advice for a listener feeling hungry for more physical affection in her relationship. I think you're going to love what she had to say. If you are digging Girl Boner Radio, please sign up for email extras on my site. That's augustmclaughlin.com. I send updates about once a month, and you'll receive news about my forthcoming Girl Boner book, my annual blog fest, which is coming up soon, occasional freebies and discounts for Girl Boner-approved products that I love, and some fun behind-the-scenes stories I usually only share there. So speaking of email lists... Jean, you happen to write one of my favorites. Thank you first for sharing your messages with the world. I get a little giddy when I see your emails in my box. Oh, wow. I mean, that means a lot to me because you put out such beautiful work. Um, Every time I see it, I open it as well. So I think we're each other's fans. Oh, very kind. And I super appreciate that. Would you first share, for anyone who's not familiar Mm -hmm. with your work, perhaps they haven't heard our previous interviews, how did you get into the cuddle work that you're doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I laugh a lot these days, but it wasn't always like that. There was a period of time when I was lonely in Los Angeles. I don't think I'm the only one who's had this experience, but I think a lot of us can get into that mode working in a cubicle, let's say, or in an office, living alone the way I did, driving in a car. Where am I connecting with people? And... Uh, It came to a head one time when I was on a business trip, and I was feeling so disconnected and isolated that I found somebody. I'm like, him. (laughs) Because I thought the only way to get connection, physical connection, which is what I was craving, was through a sexual experience. So let's quickly get to a sexual experience so I can get to the part I want to get to. And so I remember hijacking this man's evening. I really think he doesn't remember this evening fondly, and neither do I. But at the end of our mediocre sexual experience, I said, let's spoon. And he said, I wouldn't, I'm not going to do that. That's something I would do with a girlfriend. I'm going. And, and I, at the time, was incredulous. I was embarrassed. I, was ash- I felt shame because I thought that, that, that I worked for it like I did all the things that you have to do to get to this thing called cuddling and being hugged, held, seen, talked to. And I learned a tough lesson that night, which is, 
that I don't have to rely on sexuality to get me to the connection that I crave, that I can have lots of affection in my life in a lot of different ways besides through sexuality, which I love. That's a part of my life that's rich, that I do love. Did that epiphany hit you in that despair? Was it right away or was this kind of an unfolding? It was an unfolding. So what I experienced right away was just sadness, desolation. I was miserable for quite a few days. And um, maybe maybe it was on the flight home from that trip, but I doubt it. But somewhere along the line, I saw a picture of people at a cuddle event. It was probably a cuddle party, which was the first company that created this whole idea of people getting together and connecting through touch in a platonic way. And I want—I saw the picture and I wanted to dive in. And I kept looking for events like this in Los Angeles and not finding any and looking and not finding. And when I finally attended one, I was blissed out. And I didn't realize there was a biological reason why. There was blood chemistry going. There's all kinds of reasons, and specifically oxytocin was running in my bloodstream by the end of it. So I felt relaxed, happy, contented, connected, all these great feelings. But I didn't know why, but it didn't matter. I just knew I felt better and I wanted more. And so Um, I founded Cuddle Sanctuary, a place where people could go to connect at events, a place where people can get one-on-one professional cuddling, which is also part of what I do, and a place where people can get training because there are a lot of open-hearted people who want to give in this unique way, and we train them how to do so. It's so beautiful. It's been really fun to see the work that you're doing blossom and appear in the media. I know. What was that comedy piece that you did that I was crying? <laughs> I was laughing so hard. The morning something. Oh, good mythical morning. <gasps> you did. You cried. La- from laughter. People people peed their pants, apparently. I looked at the comments. If ever I was having a hard day, I would just look at the comments because so many people so responded. So in a nutshell, what happened there? So I was invited on a show called Good Mythical Morning. It's a YouTube morning show that has about 17 million followers. I had never heard of it. Where have I been? And when I went on the show, um, we did a competition because they're very, very wacky and silly, which is I would tell them the name of a cuddle position like the pretzel or the <laughs> zipper. And these two guys would try to figure out what it was. and With really, each other. With each other. Wearing onesies. You can't miss this. <laughs> and, and then I would instruct them on how to do it the way that we actually do it at cuddle sanctuary. And what I'm thrilled about is that we found that happy medium that, yes, they got to have fun with it. Yes, we are a little different. We are sort of newsworthy in that way. But people uh, reached out to me and said, I've tried this with my spouse. She's less depressed. I've tried this with my best friend. We're having the best time. I'm like, yes, this is why I do it. Not only is it fun, but I only want to do media where people can actually feel free to try these things. And not feel, like, ashamed of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. And you brought up such a good point, which is we hear about the cuddle parties and events. You don't necessarily need to attend one, or maybe you don't have access to one. You can benefit from these practices. Yeah, that's why I created the cuddle game. Oh, (laughs) the cuddle game. It's something somebody can buy online because there were so many people asking to connect, and we didn't have a professional cuddler in their area. So I created a game so that people could find a way to, to learn about consent with each other and actually have a first, second, or ongoing cuddle buddy experience with each other. That's amazing. really fun. Is it on your website? Yeah. Thecuddlesanctuary.com. It's actually just Cuddle Sanctuary. Cuddle Sanctuary. Cuddle Sanctuary. Thanks. That's perfect. That's perfect. So I've loved all of your newsletter installments, but one in particular struck me. Mm -hmm. 
Cuddle Sanctuary's uh, bra policy kind of brought it up. And you started the newsletter talking about your own kind of feelings around breasts and nipples and how at one point you didn't think it was a big deal. Yeah, I didn't think it was a big deal that certain activists cared so much about, quote, free the nipple. That's a whole campaign. If you haven't heard of it and you're interested, just Google it. You'll find a whole movement called Free the Nipple. And I just didn't get why a friend of mine was so passionate about it. And somehow something clicked in me in the past few years where I started off the blog this way. I think about nipples all the time, particularly mine and how offensive they might be to you. And it's true. A good friend of mine read that first sentence. He's like, yep, that's Jean. She does think about it all the time. In (laughs) fact, every time I dress, I am thinking about my nipples. Why? Because I'm small-breasted, and so I do not need to wear a bra for my comfort, except maybe maybe one day a month I might want some pressure on my chest during menstrual time. But besides that, there is no reason for it except one, which is to protect my nipples from your sight. It's so true, and I relate Mm -hmm. to that because I don't have to wear them either for support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one thing that struck me as I was reading your letter, because we think about our own experiences with nipples and dressing and all that stuff. And Mm -hmm. I lived in Miami prior to Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. South Beach in particular. And when I first got there, having come from, you know, Minnesota, where people are very modest, and then I was in the fashion industry where people change in front of each other all the time. You have to, just to get the job done. Exactly. And it becomes not a big thing. But in Miami, it was totally different because people walk around topless everywhere Mm -hmm. on South Beach. Mm -hmm. And at first, I couldn't stop staring. Mm -hmm. If I wasn't staring, I was thinking about staring. I saw... Bodies with nipples and boobs running around. And it was it was so striking to me. And then one day, my agent at the time told me that, because I had tan lines from running, mm-hmm. he said, well, you should just go lay on the beach without your bikini on. And I was like, what? what? Me do that? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I tried that. What was interesting about that was how freeing it felt to just be. You did it. Good I did it. You. Yeah. It mm-hmm. was, and it was really lovely. And over time... Mm-hmm. I, I realized I had been wearing bras and I didn't need to. So then what, why? I mean, in the modeling industry, it's not so expected when you go to, mm-hmm. nobody really cared. But I was used to anywhere else. It's such a big deal. You can't wear a shirt without a bra. Right. And it was so much more comfortable without it. And I got so free in that. And then I moved to LA, mm-hmm. another very progressive area. Mm-hmm. And still, I did not feel that I could go anywhere. That's right. That's right. a bra. I'm locked into the bra, or at least I felt that way. And I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm feeling jealous of men who just put on a shirt and then leave the house rather than, what kind of shirt is this? What bra would I wear? What if somebody sees the bra? What color is it? Am I going to have a lover later? What, what's underneath here? I mean, uh, there's a lot of things that go into it. And I'm delighted for people who are wearing bras for their own pleasure, for their own sense of fashion, for delight, but not because for our own safety. Yes. F that. F that. <laughs> I love that you, you said that too. Yeah, I don't want to feel unsafe. And that's exactly how I have felt, Mm. which is if I don't wear a bra, will somebody feel like they're allowed to say something, to act in a certain way? And so it became an issue of I'm jealous that other people have such a simpler life. And yet this one tiny dot, you know, this area of my body is so 
hyper-focused upon in the culture that I must put, an, you know, a half inch of cloth over it. And I say a half inch because it's all, you know, I have prominent nipples, so it's about making sure that they're tamped down. Oh, yeah. Do you have the little sticky ones? I have those. I don't do any of that anymore. Yeah, I don't—I haven't used those in a long time. Here's what I have done, like the cheap version of it, is I take one square of toilet paper. I fold it into eighths. I cover the nipple only. <laughs> and then sometimes you'll see sort of a square. And it's How just, does it stick? Oh, it's usually when—if I'm wearing something tight— Oh, so it just holds it If I'm there. wearing a jog bra type thing. Okay. But now I'm not really doing much of that either. I'm going free a lot more mm-hmm. often and even by myself. It began with I was willing to go without a bra only when accompanied by a safe friend, mm. a man safe friend. Isn't that interesting? It is so interesting. So and that's when I would test it out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There's this idea that somehow people are hardwired to be hyper-focused on, on breasts, specifically, quote, female breasts, female nipples. Right. And especially that straight men just need to. Like, they say, but the monkeys did it. You know, you hear all these crazy things that it's so normalized and that it's just— but there are cultures all around the world and throughout history when people did not wear clothes or very little clothes— People were not fixated. That's right. Um, There are places, there are countries in Africa where when the breast is not covered, it's not sexualized. And the women would say, they would say, your men want to suckle on your breasts like babies? Why why would you ever want a man who would want to do such a childish, juvenile thing? And, you know, you and I know that, you know, I will say that's part of my erotic repertoire. It feels delicious. Oh, yeah. But for them, they're like, why would you do that? Right? Right. Right? And and what I loved in the article that I was reading, and I read a lot of articles about this when I wrote the blog, is about the mouth. The mouth is used for smiling, chewing, talking, lots of different things. Sometimes the mouth is used for erotic sexuality, like the lipstick and the kissing and oral sex and all these things. But we're able to distinguish that pretty darn well. Our mouths are showing in public and we're all doing okay. We're not attacking the mouths, you know? So it's true. We're not trying to like cover the mouths. Don't put them on Instagram. (laughs) Such a good one. Now, some people do have a fetish around mouth. They might have a fetish around the ear, but there's more fetishes around the breast. Right. And it's, it's, we were, we were, it's a learned behavior, friends. It is. It's learned. And I love that you said it's a part of your sensuality because I find breasts turn me on. Beautiful. You know, when I see a, a scene, even if it's, not always, but especially if it's in a like an artistic kind of independent film or something where mm-hmm. people are more free with their sexuality, yeah. you know. And I know that a lot of times the reason that I'm enticed by breasts is mm-hmm. because I've been taught that. Yeah. And so there's that interesting sort of, you know, I think sometimes it, something that gets missed is the difference between sexy, sensual, and mm-hmm. sexualized. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of talking about sexualized. Can we transition to that? Please. So you had, you know, the word sexualized is um, very charged right now in in the feminist, you know, in the feminist conversations, um, empowerment. 
And there's a sense, I think, for a lot of people, like, I don't want to be sexualized. That's sort of like the statement. And, and, and my truth is, I do want to be sexualized in certain situations. When I'm with my lover, I'm happy to have him look at my body and lust. Please objectify yes. me. Yes, please objectify me. And, and yet we all need to know how to turn that off. Yes. And how to turn that on. We need to be able to do that so that we can be appropriate with our children, so we can be appropriate in work situations. There are tons of situations in life where eroticizing isn't the right moment for it, yeah. for, for appropriateness and for safety. So everyone listening, we can all learn, okay, it's okay now. All right, go for it. Yeah? Absolutely. I typed out one part of your post that yeah. really struck me. It said, we have the capacity to choose what's erotic or not depending on the context. Many people, when they are enjoying sexy time, use their lips for kissing and wonderful things, and yet lips are bared in public every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you go on to say, you know, that we can we can find a way to create new habits, to cultivate mm-hmm. what we want. And I think another piece that gets lost is that we do have a choice mm-hmm. what turns us on. Mm-hmm. And we can choose if we want to be, if we want to save that, sexualizing mm-hmm. for the context of being mm-hmm. with, a, with a lover. Absolutely. We can choose that. How yeah. do we go about that for someone who's like, but I'm just turned on by boobs all the time? Mm-hmm. How, do I, how do you change that? How do you navigate? I, uh, that's such a great question. Um, there's a few ideas that I would have for anybody listening, um, but I also would encourage research. Research the uh, uh, research the masculine. Research what what men are doing to manage their you know sex energy, or women too. But let me just speak from my own experience. One time I was at Cuddle Sanctuary, my non sexual platonic non erotic event, and I was finding somebody sexy. And I was my first response was shame. But there's no reason to feel shame for being for feeling that somebody's sexy. No. But it was out of context, and so what I decided to do was shift my attention. I put my attention on other people at the event. I sat with some sadness that I was feeling. Just that It brought some sadness up because a person wasn't a potential anything for me and it wasn't appropriate, all of it. But part of it, yeah, is about, you know, a, a lot of people joke about baseball scores. You know why? Because it does help people shift their thinking. Um, and to and to split their attention. Mm-hmm. And so putting your attention elsewhere is a great, like if you're having a conversation and you find yourself looking at the boob, looking at the boob, discipline, eye contact, ask the person how their day was, listen. I love that. Yeah. And don't, try not to judge yourself for the feelings. I like that you said yeah. that you felt shame. Yeah. And if feelings come up that are negative, your feelings are your feelings, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have a feeling, one thing I've been working on is, when I have a negative feeling that I feel shame around, mm-hmm. I'm I'm working on noticing them, mm-hmm. observing them, mm-hmm. and and not judging myself. The genius of noticing is that the only way you can notice yourself is realizing it's not you, that the shame is not you. It's that. you're a person feeling shame rather than you're shameful. Yes. So that's right there. I mean, feeling shame, yeah. you're not shameful. Yeah. I love that. Is that helpful? Yes. Good. I feel like so many of us internalize it and, and think we are bad. If right. we have this thought, then therefore we are bad. Yeah. I would want everyone to uh, listening, if you find yourself ever fetishizing body parts and, fig- and confused about how to find your way out of that so that you can make choices, step one is to not judge. Absolutely. I mean, not judge. 
And then with a spirit of curiosity and inquiry, go, what's out there that can help me to learn a different way? Yeah. What can I practice? Which is mm-hmm. what you do with your cuddle work and I think is mm. awesome. There's so many creative, beautiful, fun, pleasurable ways to express ourselves yes. and to find that affection. Yes. I love the idea that touch, that there's a variety of ways that I can enjoy touch besides just the sexual. Um, when I was a kid in elementary school, we used to hold hands. We used to wrestle. We used to be so uh, topsy-turvy with each other. And that began to diminish. There was a study about touch where a, the scientists looked at different countries, looked at people having tea or coffee. How many times did they touch in a course of an hour? And in uh, the United Kingdom, in England, zero times. There was no touch between those adults. And in the U.S., twice. That's striking. And then in France, it was a couple hundred in one hour. Oh, my goodness. So there, you know, the fact that we have a touch-averse culture, it's not the only culture out there, but a lot of us are starving for touch. It's so true. Mm -hmm. We actually received a question from a listener, and she said that her husband, uh, boyfriend actually, her Mm -hmm. boyfriend does not is not as inclined to physical affection. Mm -hmm. She wants a lot more physical affection. And she's feeling confused about how to invite that without sounding like she's criticizing and also feels that if she asks for it, Mm -hmm. it's not as meaningful because she wants him to want it. So Mm. I'd love to hear your thoughts. First, here's what Dr. Megan Fleming of Great Life, Great Sex had to say. Okay. Frida. I love your question and, in a sense, your insight because, you know, it's great that um, you're aware of, you know, this sort of double bind. Like, how do you ask for what you want, but in a way that doesn't seem like being needy or complaining? Because I can certainly say that in my practice, when I see, you know, um, women whose partner has lower libido, it's often really confusing because I think in our culture, you know, the idea is that men are always sort of you know, ready to go and, um, you know, always interested in, in sex and clearly sort of the more sort of aggressive or demonstrative ones. And I can certainly tell you that is absolutely not the case. And that, um, you know, I think, again, you're right to say, how do you bring it up in such a way that it comes from a wish and a longing versus a frustration? Um, because, listen, as much as I understand that part of you that doesn't want to basically have to ask for it, because, you know, I hear this a lot from women. It's like, if I have to ask for it, it's like, in a sense, why bother? Or it doesn't feel the same when they receive it. But what I can also say is, you know, our partners can't mind read. And so um, I think finding a time outside of the bedroom to just sort of say, you know, I really like it when, you know, anytime he spontaneously touches you, really give verbal and nonverbal positive reinforcement, but also to sort of say uh, from that wish and longing perspective, you know, you're wondering, you're curious, um, you know, has he noticed, again, very non-judgmental language, but it's really just opening the conversation and the dialogue because, you know, it's it's unclear whether maybe he grew up in a family that um, wasn't really demonstrative about affection. Um, or he got clear messages that that was inappropriate or maybe even too aggressive. And so he's respectfully, um, you know, that's not his innocence come from. 
And it also might be, listen, I don't know if he has particular uh, stress or deadlines at work. Because again, if we think about conditions for sex and certainly how they can impact libido, if somebody's under a lot of stress, that's certainly something that can um, diminish their spontaneous desire. Um, But it sounds like this may be something that's been more ongoing. So another thing to definitely consider, and again, it's to be done sort of tactfully, is to see whether or not it would make sense to have his testosterone checked. Because um, if he might report that, you know what, in his entire life, in any relationship he's been in, he's noticed that his partners, his girlfriends have had uh, greater desire, um, then it might indicate, again, I often describe the bell curve distribution, like he may be on the lower end of the tail of desire, but it may also be that there might be something endocrine specifically related to low testosterone happening. And the thing I think is so important for men, um, you know, testosterone is not just about desire, it's about uh, body mass index and um, difficulty sort of gaining muscle. It also has to do with depression and fatigue. And so it certainly doesn't hurt if it feels to him like this is something he's experienced sort of, you know, globally and not situationally, like lifelong. It never hurts to be ruled out by a urologist. and having his testosterone looked at because I've certainly worked with men in their 20s and their 30s who um, are suffering from hypogonadism or low T. And so um, I guess what I would say is I think it's awesome that you've asked this question and that you want to find the best way to bring this, you know, sort of top of mind to your boyfriend. So there's everything from when it happens spontaneously the reinforcing it and saying, ooh, and expressing, you know, how much you like it. So sort of energetically, he wants to give more. And when it feels like that's not really translating and it's not really stepping up to the level that you want, I think, again, out of the bedroom to bring it up in the language, like curious, wondering, um, and that just knowing that it's in the having the conversation that often I can appreciate are difficult to have, that's where the intimacy comes from. And that's where he can truly understand and and express to him. I think this part is important, you know, and when you, um, you know, when I feel that you're really desiring me and you um, sort of spontaneously kiss me or hug me, how it makes you feel, really paint for him that picture. Because I think for whatever reason, he doesn't know or get that, that it's, it doesn't take necessarily a lot of effort, but, and it may not necessarily be so visceral or again, like women, it may not be so spontaneous. It may be more willingness and responsive desire. Um, but that being said, if he really understands and appreciates how that makes you feel, I think for most partners, that's a huge natural motivator. So as always love to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I loved what she had to say. I thought she dressed so many different topics that apply to so many of us, expressing our desires, you know, from a positive place and helping someone to feel encouraged instead of approaching it as, why aren't you doing X, Mm -hmm. Y, Z for Mm -hmm. me? What came up for you? Well, the part about affection, because she mentioned affection, that really sparked some interest for me. Besides the the things that Dr. Megan said, so many things to try, um, I like the idea of of the reader. um, having more um, opportunities for connection and affection in her life besides just one outlet. And so one idea is, are there cuddle events in her city? 
If so, talking to her husband about, well, what would it be like for her to go to one? Or maybe they could go to one together. And maybe, maybe he wouldn't be into it. But what does it mean for the relationship that she wants to get more connection and touch? Uh, similarly, some people go to a professional cuddler so that they can get filled up on touch in a way that's very, very clean. In other words, there's no sexual component to it. It's a professional. It's like getting a massage. It's like getting a massage. And so what conversations might come out of the fact that there's a desire there? Oh, I'd love to try this service. What do you think? What does that bring up? Yes. Yeah. And that conversation could lead in so many different directions. And mm -hmm. I love that you pointed out it may be that her partner is very willing and, and would love to have more affection, or that may not be the case. It might not be his cup of tea. And that's okay. Another idea, though, is, is about friends. Is it getting more hugs and connection with friends? Um, being able to, like, grab your friend's arm when you take a walk with them or when you're having tea. Can you hold hands? Can you exchange a foot rub? Can you give each other a shoulder rub? Is it okay? And that's a broader question yeah. is why don't we allow – why don't we allow ourselves more connection with our friends? That includes touch. Is it mm -hmm. similar with animals, pets? I know that there are some wow. studies that show that oxytocin can come from even gazing. Yeah. You know how dogs will look at you in the yes. eye. Yes, you can get an oxytocin boost, which feels really good for us humans, just by looking into the eyes of a dog. But if you think about dogs and how they pile on top of each other, they are mammals. They're sort of showing us how it's done. That, but we're used to just resting with each other, relaxing into touch. And we've learned, another word, learned not to. Yes. Absolutely. social propriety. Another learned thing. Right. Another learned thing that's not really helping our health. The boost in oxytocin gives us so many health boosts like sleeping better, lower cortisol levels, which means less stress, along with a boost in heart health and um, immune, your immune system gets a kick. So who would want to give up these beautiful benefits? Not me. I want them all. Yeah. And so I I like having a daily practice, optimum daily oxytocin. Let's get those hugs in every day. Yes. Yeah, yes. Or at least you know, plan ahead. If there's going to be a few days where I have no connection at all, there's something I need to do to, to connect with people. Yeah, just mm -hmm. something to put on your radar yeah. and be mindful of. Yes. Can I share an epiphany I had? Please. Thanks to you as oh. we were speaking. So earlier when we were talking about when we find breasts or nipples sexy, yeah. right, and maybe, maybe feel a little bit turned on by them, I realized that – I only feel that when it feels like a safe space for me. So when I'm watching a movie, yeah. when it is something that is, to me, if I were walking down the street mm -hmm. and a woman or somebody with breasts came toward me mm -hmm. and there's lots of cleavage showing, mm -hmm. I choose not, it's not a voluntary conscious thing I'm thinking about mm -hmm. at the time, but I don't sexualize that. You don't go there. No. And maybe because... We are very used to being sexualized. That's right. I have a feeling that if you did go there, like if you let yourself, I'm going to use the word leer, like look and really like get into it, that person's going to feel that. Even though the other party isn't saying something, we can feel the vibe. Yeah. We can feel the energy. It feels invasive. And it can feel, for me, I'm speaking for myself, right. it can feel unwanted and non-consensual. Very much so. So it's important to know that it's not just what we say and do. It's the vibe. It really is. Mm -hmm. And there's, for me, something so special about reserving that sensual erotic energy for the places that I really want to share it, mm -hmm. you know, with my partner. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's my own eroticism mm -hmm. when I'm, you know, playing with my myself and I mm -hmm. want to be connected to my own body. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that, like you said, consent comes into all of these conversations. And I learned so much about consent in your cuddle event that I attended. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to mention it because we talk about confidentiality. But but yes. Oh, we can totally talk about such it. such an honor to have you at an event. It was so amazing. It was so cool. You and, took to it so beautifully. Oh, that's very kind <laughs> of you to say. It was interesting because you don't realize how little touch that we have in our daily interactions with people, mm-hmm. I don't think, at least for me. Until, until was, you have a chance to like hold hands with people while you talk to them. Yeah. Or just lay together and chat or yeah. be quiet and listen. And you to get music. a little high. Like I felt a little, Yeah, I, it seemed like I wasn't the only one. There was a no. feeling of this sort of gentle euphoria. That's such a beautiful way to put it. Uh, we joke at Cuddle Sanctuary, we call it Cuddle Baked. <laughs> we yeah. tell people, like, <laughs> gather your keys, have a drink of water, like, yeah. get grounded before you get in your car because uh-huh. you're high. <laughs> people get very blissed out. It's not a good time after a cuddle event to make financial decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Don't go straight to the car dealership. Don't do it because you're blissed out. And that blissed out, that gentle, blissful mm. feeling can last uh, into the evening, into a deep night's sleep, and into the next day. I believe it. Yeah. You know what I had the urge to do what? when we first started? What? It took me a while to not want to talk a lot because I, when <laughs> there's like, if there's an uncomfortable mm-hmm. silence or something, yes. often what I'm inclined to do is start mm-hmm. talking. Mm-hmm. And I had this strange feeling of if we're touching, we should be talking. Otherwise, that's somehow awkward. Mm. So I remember I was back to back with somebody yeah. and even not facing the person, I felt like I should be like, well, what did you have for lunch? How are you feeling today? Let's talk about baseball. Let's. I had a, that was <laughs> really funny. funny, and I was like, "Wow!" I just embracing the silence of just being, mm-hmm. and and we did. I mean, we talked too, and mm-hmm. it became much more natural. There was singing happening. Was I remember that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was cool. But that was an interesting thing I didn't expect. Yes, it's that people when they feel nervous, anxiety, or social anxiety, um, some people it comes out through talking. That's all. I'm so glad that you caught it because then you can just breathe and sit with it mm-hmm. and then see what happens. And what happens, what you observed, is spontaneity happens. That's why apparently singing happened. That wasn't planned. It oh, no. just happened because people feel happy and comfortable and relaxed. Yay. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. It was awesome. It was awesome. So where are you now as far mm-hmm. as your bra policies and also mm-hmm. at least when the newsletter came out, yeah. you were wearing bras to your events. Yeah. So what uh, the, the policy is, is that anybody who typically wears bras in their day-to-day life does not need to wear one at Cuddle Sanctuary. And frankly, apparently it's legal all over the land. <laughs> bras are not required legally. And yet, I, so I wanted to just simply emphasize for my attendees that they can come as they are with relation to brassieres. For me, um, I still wear, I still will, because I have this fear that newcomers who don't know, who haven't been reading my blog and don't know me well, who are coming for a non-sexual space and want to trust it's non-sexual, that the person greeting them, that very first greeting, that they might have some kind of impression that might be off-putting or scare them. If we have somebody who's dealing with trauma around touch, that they'll be like, oh, oh my God, it's Spiralis. So I'm being conservative and modest for the sake of the client experience. In my own life, I'm much more free. Mm. It's a delight. So I want to show you. So I'm wearing my dress with no bra. 
I have a scarf that covers strategically, frankly, because that's my safety now. I'm free yeah. and then I'm I'm comfortable. It feels really delightful. But less free if if I'm just like there are there are t-shirts that I have that are so nipply. You know, they're so thin. I'm not ready for those yet. Yeah. I don't know if the culture's ready for them yet, but yeah. I'm not. But other t-shirts, I'm doing it. This is really funny. I went to a Pilates class with a t-shirt and no bra, and it felt like a revolutionary. <laughs> it's only women. Yeah. What are we all wearing these like tight things for? Yeah. I mean, I don't and Pilates, as well in to them. Pilates is yeah. not a bouncing thing. Right. So we're all wearing these uncomfortable things for each other. What? Right. What yeah. are we doing that for? It's so confusing. So I'm trying to be bold and be like, I'm going to be comfortable. And to all my Pilates friends, this is what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so small revolutions. That uh, bra scarf. Yeah. <laughs> it just showed me. I the love that. <laughs> yeah. I do the same thing because it's pretty rare now that I actually wear a bra. A lot of times, like right now, I'm wearing a, um, a cami. Mm-hmm. And I do that more often because it doesn't feel as restrictive to me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it feels nice to have a little extra layer of warmth, you mm-hmm. know, around me. But I do very often, especially in the summer, I'll have just like a very sheer kind of bandana type thing or something mm-hmm. just so that. And again, it's so much about, for me, other people's perception perception and comfort level. Yeah. You know, it's I don't want them to be like, oh, here comes the nipple lady or something. Mm-hmm. Like you just have this strange. It's so funny. Especially because, you know, we are in the sex positive communities, right? right? So I remember when I started Girl Boner and had a few blog posts up and then all of a sudden the featured photo for one of them was this big bright dildo mm-hmm. and so everywhere it appeared online there were sex toys in the pictures mm-hmm. and somebody sent me a message and oh. said hey is it possible that you could change the photo because sometimes I want to share these things or it shows up on my Facebook feed yeah. with all my friends and mm-hmm. they have kids and there's this big bright pink dildo mm-hmm. and it hadn't occurred to me and I thought oh mm-hmm. gosh you Good know, to know just because we are comfortable with a certain thing doesn't mean everybody is. And at the same time, you have that sense of, well, you want to help change culture too. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting balance. And you know what? There's something I want to acknowledge that, you know, in a culture that does sexualize the nipple, I wanted to, you know, and I've told you that I have felt fear. Like, what if I, what if I, will somebody want to hurt me? Here's what I, what I notice. If I'm wearing no bra and going around by myself, what I sometimes notice is that men will smile. And it's not a smile of like ogling or leering. It's a smile of thank you. (laughs) I think it's just like, that's beautiful. It's a smile of like, thank you for letting me see your beauty. See, it's, it's you know, lovely. I, and I think that all nipples are lovely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I appreciate seeing, but that's so, we see it so often. We can see nipples on people who don't have protruding breasts Mm-hmm. And, but they don't become a thing. Yes, this is the advice that I gave in the blog. Is like, what do you do if somebody comes to Cuddle Sanctuary and they're not wearing a bra and you're like really into tits? You know, what do you do? Step one, don't freak out. Step two, don't bring it up. Step three, don't stare. Step four, silently thank them for being courageous. And if you find it beautiful, thank them for that silently. Step five, leave them alone. Don't, like, put all kinds of attention there. Right. It'd be like somebody having a a penis boner, right? Yeah. Which I think you've written about, too. Well, we talk about it all the time at Cuddle Sanctuary. It's the more obvious concern that people have at our events is what if I get turned on and I'm somebody with a penis and that, you know, you'll know. Yeah. Or what if I get turned on by someone's hard-on behind me? 
Right. Right. And we, we just talk about it. Number one, don't be ashamed. Number two, celebrate your body parts are working in step in you know, step three, make a shift. Yeah. Just make a shift. Yeah. Sometimes it's a little hard. You know what? Mm-hmm. I told you, I just went to the dentist and sometimes they say, don't swallow, don't swallow, don't swallow. <laughs> and you're like, all you can do is think about swallowing. <laughs> so sometimes when people say, don't look at, don't look at that. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I'll try. And then my eyes are like, <laughs> trying to look. <laughs> but so not I like, look. I like the acknowledged distract thing too. It's yeah. probably d- whatever works for you. But yeah, instead yeah. of saying don't do this, instead say do do that. Okay. What yeah. if the doctor said, hold your spit in your mouth? <laughs> hold your spit in your mouth. You're doing so great. Just hold that spit. <laughs> I'm going to request that next time. <laughs> don't tell me what not to do. Tell me what I can do. Uh, Where's the Speaking permission? of can do, yes. I feel like that is something that's missing from the conversations around consent. So much mm-hmm. of it is about how to say no, when yeah. to say no, when yeah. to ask for a no or, mm-hmm. or, or a yes. But I feel like the yeses, what the work you're doing also seems to teach a lot about acting on the desires that we do have, requesting or seeking yes. what we do want. Yes. What has this work taught you about consent? Well, first of all, I can ask for what I want and the other person can say no. So first of all, it's, it's realizing that people have the right to say no. I can give them space to say no. I non I, I don't pressure people physically by like coming up to them and things like that. Um, so knowing that I have those skills that I can accept a no gracefully, which takes some practice, um, means that I can also ask for some wonderful things, things that I never would have thought I could ask for. Like I like a really gentle stroking up and down the arm like really tickly. And certain people enjoy giving that or would be happy to do it because I get so blissed out. It's so nice to ask for such things because I thought that sensations like that were lost to childhood where where my siblings and I, we would like, you get five minutes and I get five minutes for arm tickling, you know? Who does that now? Well, I do. <laughs> At Cuddle Sanctuary, I can ask for such things and so can you. That's beautiful. It's interesting that around the same time, I feel that we start to not having the same amount of touch in our lives and the same physical affection is also the time we become very aware of social ideas around what's appropriate and bodies. So I remember being maybe five and running around topless, you know, four Mm -hmm. or five years old. You're running through a sprinkler. Mm -hmm. So fun, right? And you're not, you're getting hugs, you're getting touch, you're, all that stuff's happening. And all of those things together seem to come about in kind of the same time. Yeah, and I think that time is called puberty. Which is the the worst time for it, really. It's really really sad. Yeah. It's really sad that um, we we lose a lot of options for touch right when we sort of need more support because a lot of strange things are happening to us. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's part of the grief of puberty in our culture is the loss of of that kind of connection. How do you respond to people who've been saying in light of the Me Too movement, well, I can't touch people because it's going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. Someone's going to report it. Someone will Mm -hmm. take it the wrong way. Yeah, you know, this is so, I'm so passionate about this. I've actually created a talk for colleges called Sex After Me Too. I think there are ways that we can still enjoy ourselves and still ask and still have delightful touch, non-touch experiences with each other without, without feeling fear of litigation. And it comes from real conversations. It comes from taking our time with regards to consent, not rushing consent. 
It comes from some real self-awareness about when your when one's decision making gets altered for me. I have to be mindful around intoxicants because so if I'm if I'm drinking or something, I'll be like, eh, fuck it. And then I'll be like, wow, and now I'm stressed out for the rest of the month around an STI issue or around pregnancy. Like that, that fuck it was fun in the moment. But I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't high in some way. And when I say high, I use it as a very general term because another intoxicant, this is the one that I'm a huge fan of, that I have to be mindful of when making sexual decisions, is a swollen or swollen genitals. So when I'm feeling like sexy and I'm getting that eye contact and maybe about to kiss somebody, the genitals are swelling. Sometimes, you know, both parties. And this is a hard time to be like, oh, let's have a talk about our sexual histories or let's double check that, you know, <laughs> yeah. that what you need is what I need and that tomorrow we're both going to feel good about this. Right. It sort of can be too late because it's already like, eh, fuck it. Yeah. So I, that's why I like to talk about um, being conscious, being aware, knowing that a lot of people want to have sexual adventure, sensual adventure, and touch adventures just like you do. And that you don't have to trick anybody. You don't have to trick the other party into a yes. We all have bodies that feel good when we're touched the right way. So I think that's that's a piece of, of what's on my mind. You know, one of the big takeaways for me from your event was changing the way that I approach touch with friends, yeah. assuming, you know, not assuming is the practice that I've cultivated ever since then. Mm. I ask people before I hug them, unless mm. I know them really, really, really well. And we already have, you know, sometimes it doesn't have to always be this like verbal question every single time. If you yeah. know that your partner always loves a morning hug, that's You don't great. have to keep asking them every morning. It's exactly, your partner. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But one interesting thing about that is I feel like the touch is much more meaningful when you did ask, when you put thought into it, and it actually opens up opportunity for more meaningful touch in your life. So practicing consent, I feel, allows for a lot more intimacy in our lives of all different kinds. Yeah, I think consent can get, just the word of it can get a bad rap that it's like a spoil sport, a spoiler and not fun. I wholeheartedly agree that when done well, it can take a C plus sexual experience and move it into like, 110%. Like, it can be delightful. I've I've hugged people who don't want hugs. And people have hugged me when I didn't want the hug. It sucks. That's it's awful. not an enjoyable touch experience at all. But when I ask somebody or they ask me, and I, I and I can say yes because I I know I have the freedom to, that's a, it's a good hug. Yeah. We just really drink it in. It's yeah. yummy. Takes those questions out. There's yeah. no weird sort of. We are both wanting this. Yeah. It's delightful. Yeah, that's what consent yeah. is all about. Mm -hmm. And you're both wanting very this. positive. It's not an ick word. Yeah, I could say I consider consent positive and sex positive all rolled up into one. I want people to have more yummy experiences. So I know you offer some different freebies. I do. How can people get some of this? Yummy? Sure. So you can go to cuddlesanctuary.com and we've got a I've got free email lessons that I've created um, for people who want more affection and connection in their day-to-day -day life. Also, at Cuddle Sanctuary, we offer two free webinars, one on consent and one if a person is interested in the world of professional cuddling. And to find those, you would just go to cuddlesanctuary.com and click training. Beautiful. Yeah. So before I let you go, I want mm -hmm. to ask about your 
New Year's mission, you talked about a word that does not really come up in terms of New Year's resolve. Delight. Delight. Delight is my teacher this year. Yeah. So I wrote a piece about that because what I'm learning is that I... I'm a very ambitious person. I bet a lot of your listeners are too. They like to get it done, check it off the list. And I, last year, um, put myself into a state of burnout where I felt trapped in my life, trapped in my commitments. I didn't know how to get out of it. And I felt awful, physically depleted, emotionally depleted, spiritually depleted. And I had to stop everything and only do the bare minimum for a while and then only do what I was called strongly to do. And my strong call, I call delight. Something like when you contacted me and said, can you come on Girl Boner and talk about nipples? I'm like, sign me up. (laughs) Can I can I can I do it in person? Because I want to see you. And there was nothing but delight about this. The truth is talking with you is actually a marketing action for my business. But there are marketing actions I can do with a gray, bland, boring energy. And then there's this (laughs) fun delightful time that I get to spend with my friend. Mm. So I'm looking for more and more of those. And I encourage everyone listening in your work, in your studies, and in your play to look for more delight. To ask yourself, what would make this even more delightful? Whether it's your food choice or what you're going to wear or the sex position that you're going to try with your partner. (laughs) All of it. All of it. Thank you so much for everything that you do and for sharing your time and energy and brilliance today. You are such a light in this world. The mirror speaks. (laughs) Isn't she amazing? Okay, guys, (laughs) cuddlesanctuary.com. There you can also find social media links, I know, so that you can follow and stay part of the conversation. I will share some links in the follow-up blog as well at augustmclaughlin.com. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes if you haven't and leave us a simple review. You can also follow us now on Spotify, which is very exciting. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner.